Rider skills today, we've got Clinton Smout, and we're tackling one of those skills that will change your ride forever if you just take the time to follow Clinton's instructions. Counterweighting. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Payton. Bill Bergoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. I'm Marissa Notier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Moto Camp Nerd. It's a motorcycle camping store. Actually, they call it the motorcycle camping store because they say it's the only one of its kind, and I haven't come across this either. Moto Camp Nerd. It's the brainchild of Ben and Mary Williams from Trinity, North Carolina. And what they have here is a a store that focuses 100% on motorcycle camping, supplying us riders with ride-quality camping gear. And guess what? They just opened a new store in Archdale, North Carolina, near Trinity. This would make a good ride destination you know, on your route or maybe just a place to go to. Anyway, they, they, they do this, um, this, this supplying us with gear by, by stocking the gear. They don't do drop shipping. They've got gear that suits motorcycle riding. So they choose gear that packs small and works well for us riders. They're authorized dealers for brands like Nemo, Big Agnes, Sea to Summit, and Ben & Mary, the owners, they're, they're motorcycle campers themselves. So you're, when you're dealing with Moto Camp Nerd, you're dealing with riders that care very much about what they're doing, a husband and wife team. And, you know, this could solve a lot of dilemmas be, uh, on deciding on gear because we hear questions like this all the time. You know, and I'm sure you have too. Which tent, which tent is best suited for motorcycle camping? Which sleeping bag is? Well, here you've got people who've tried it and specialized, make it their, their, their vocation to understand what is needed for motorcycle camping gear and supplying you with that gear. MotocampNerd.com is a website. You're only going to find gear here that suits motorcycle camping. And Ben and Mary are there to help with your questions. So if you have a question, can't decide, just shoot them an email. And they said they're happy to help sort you out. MotocampNerd.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now for another Adventure Rider Radio Rider Skills. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. They're ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. motorcycle reference is simply using your body mass to balance your motorcycle. It's obvious that if you lean the motorcycle to one side at speeds too slow to have centrifugal force, then something needs to be done to stop the bike from continuing to fall in that direction, the direction of the lean. And that is counterweighting at its most basic level. 
on the street at speeds, we encounter a centrifugal force that sort of feels like when we're making a turn that the bike is being pulled in the opposite direction of the turn. And that works in our favor because centrifugal force acts as a counterweight on the bike. But when we slow down to speeds that we often ride with an adventure motorcycle, the centrifugal force is absent. And if we just lean the bike to one side, it's going to continue to fall if we don't counterweight. The concept is simple. The procedure is also fairly simple, but it can be one of the most terrifying things for riders to master. And I think that part of this is because there's more to it than just leaning in the opposite direction. We have to put our bodies in the correct position. Then we have to use our clutch and our throttle in a very special way, as well as steer. So it becomes a bit of a choreographed dance we do with our bikes. But just like any other skill you've learned, counterweighting is something that you can learn to do and you really need to for adventure riding. For the process of learning this skill today, Clinton Smout is going to reference counterweighting while turning around as tight as possible. In other words, if you're going down the road or a trail and you want to turn and go in the opposite direction. But we use counterweighting, and and the reason for that is because it's the most pronounced there. Everything that you do for counterweighting, that's where you really see what you're doing. But we use counterweighting anytime we slow down and have to work through obstacles with our bikes or even a side hill. You're riding along a side hill, you use counterweighting there. And once you have the art of hanging your butt off to the other side of your motorcycle, once you master that counterweighting, you've entered a whole new world of adventure and pride, really, in what you can do with your motorcycle. Here's Clinton Smout. Now, now Clinton is from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. He works out of the Horseshoe Resort. He's been training motorcyclists for, I don't know, 30 some odd years, over 130,000 riders uh, through his training courses, I think. I mean, a very, very experienced uh, rider trainer. And um, Clinton's getting ready to kick off a new season. So, Clinton, what is so difficult in as far as the concept goes to this counterweighting thing? I think, Jim, it's just not an intuitive skill. We haven't done it that much on a bicycle when we were kids. So once we get into motorcycling, we're not turning slow speed feet up very tight corners that much. And we get into the habit of actually putting our foot or both feet down. So to learn this skill, it takes quite a bit of practice and confidence building before people are good at it. What we're talking about here today is is slow speed maneuvers and the need to counterweight for slow speed maneuvers. Really, really what we're talking about in a really basic sense, we're just talking about balancing our bike, aren't we? Yes, but particular for adventure riders is we're often trying to do it on a soft gravel road or maybe there's a bit of sand or loose bark trail. And that adds to the degree of difficulty because if you think of it, as you're turning tightly to the left, let's say, your bottom of your front tire will want to slide out on that loose material to the right. And when it does, the bike leans dramatically to the left because the tire just slid out and you have to put your foot down and or drop the bike on the left side. So that's the main benefit of counterweighting or counterbalancing 
for adventure bike riders is loose terrain, you're not going to have to put your foot down or drop your bike. Now, if all we're doing is balancing the bike, why would it matter what the traction is? Because if the bike was in a neutral position, wouldn't it not matter if, if you were on good traction, bad traction, as long as you could manage? I mean, just imagine if I could, if I could keep the, the bike upright. I had a built-in gyroscope within me and I could keep the bike upright. I mean, at that point, the surface wouldn't matter, would it? You're, that's absolutely really well explained. Um, to expand on that, this gyro thing you mentioned... It's a $5 word I don't let our instructors use because people's eyes just glaze over. But if you or your brother had a spinning top as a kid, I don't know if they're still available at Toys R Us, but it was a spinning top where you pulled something and it created huge RPM on this little spinning top on the table. It would stand up perfectly straight until it lost RPMs. And then it gets to the point where it will wobble and fall down. So the RPM, when it's very slow, that simulates our motorcycles. When we slow right down, the bike is more likely to fall to the left or the right, depending on which way you're turning, if you're going slow. Because there's a lot of gyros in our motorcycles, the turning wheels, the turning clutch, flywheel, crankshaft. Higher revs, especially with wheels, create stability. So an analogy would be you're driving to work and you take an on-ramp at 50 miles an hour, 80 kilometers an hour. You can lean over a long way to the left as you turn left on that on-ramp or to the right, whichever. And it doesn't feel like the bike's going to fall over. Another way to look at it is watch F1 road racing. Heavy sigh, Valentino just retired. But Mark Market, oh no, he's, he's hit his head, he's out. But any of the top, any of them on that track, they're dragging not only their knees on the ground, there's like a urinal puck on the kneecap, a knee slider. And they put that on the ground at such high speed with sticky tires. So that tells their body, okay, I'm over pretty far. But then you'll see the top 10 riders dragging elbows. They're that far off. They're right on the very edge of the tire. And those guys are leaning in the direction that they're going with the bike because their speeds are so high the motorcycle requires a greater lean angle. To the faster you go, the more the bike has to lean. And if you don't hang off the bike, it's not going to go around that corner. And conversely, with us on our adventure bikes, we're doing three miles an hour, five kilometers an hour, and we're trying to do a U-turn in a trail or a gravel road because we've realized We followed uh, Clinton, the new marshal from BMW, and I didn't know how to work a GPS. (laughs) I got lost a lot. So I taught them how to do U-turns, but... Oh, I see. You use that as an excuse. Every time you get lost, you say, I'm just showing you how to do U-turns, right? Good tip. Yeah, that's what they were doing. It was a test. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we taught them that at really slow speeds, if you're turning left, you'll be able to turn a sharper corner the more you lean the bike over. 
But now on loose bark trail or mud or sand or gravel, that front tire moves around. So if you don't counterweight by hanging your body off the right-hand side as you lean the bike to the left, you're going to have to put your left boot down or drop the bike. Mm. So that's the real purpose that we teach counterweighting is to help you keep traction and be able to turn tightly in loose materials. So the reason we're, we're having to counterweight as we're, as we're turning is because we don't have that extra force that they do on the racetrack. For instance, when they're whipping along at high speeds, they have centrifugal force that's, that's, that's forcing the bike outward, trying to stand the bike up. Uh, whereas we don't have that because we're going exactly. dead slow. Right. The physics is gone. Right. So we're missing one of those forces. Therefore, we are forced, uh, I use the word twice here, but- Oh, good, Jim. We're forced to, um, to counterbalance to do just this. Yes. Okay. And- um, from our experience, that is the hardest thing to get um, a new adventure bike rider or some seasoned ones to get them to be able to do. And part of it's because a lot of us as motorcyclists, especially street riders, have acquired the bad habit memory of on the approach to traffic that's slowing or a stop sign or red light, many riders you'll see both feet come off the foot pegs as the bike is still moving and they're like outriggers on a canoe and they're hovering, if not dragging down the pavement until they use their front brake to do that last deceleration and stop. And then both feet are almost on the ground or on the ground already. So they get in the habit of when riding really slowly, their brain says, Hey, you better put your feet down in case this thing tips. Now, I appreciate that some people's legs aren't as long as mine and they're nervous at slow speeds where that top will wobble and fall down. They want their feet down in case they drop the bike. Nobody wants to drop their bike. But um, with practice, a good rider, in my opinion, keeps their feet up until the very last meter or yard, then what we teach is you should stop with your right foot on the brake and only your left foot comes down. And even with a seven-year-old child we're teaching how to ride, we acquire this muscle memory by asking them, just before you stop, lean your helmet to the left. The mass of your head in the helmet leaning to the left will cause you to put your left foot down. And mm. then you can keep your right foot up on the peg. It's a great little trick. Now, if that doesn't work, we have string and we tie. It has to be the right length. We tie one end of the string to your left toe, the other to the front piece of your helmet. So as you put your left foot down, it pulls your helmet around and you lean on the left foot and you do a shoulder check at the same time. It's great muscle. I'm just kidding. We don't, we're not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> I was just going to say, we should put together a bunch of photos from these different versions of, <laughs> of things that you've set up to train people. Of taping I could just them hear and, the lawyer, the lawyer now. Yeah. You touched a rope around their neck. <laughs> There's no. something seriously wrong here. <laughs> yeah. But that's a great way to get confidence 
And then, you know, if it's windy or your bike's really heavy, put both feet down, but you're already stopped. You're able to keep your foot up on the brake Mm -hmm. as well as use gentle, progressive front brake. Because off-road, we all know what happens when we use the front brake when we're turning. Uh, Most of us grab it with the same strength as we would on dry pavement. And it's gravel, it's sand, it's mud, it's wet leaves. And then we get to practice picking up a fallen motorcycle. Because it goes down very, very quickly. It's funny how a rolling tire doesn't really work that well for, or a stopped tire rather, doesn't work well yes. for, for motorcycles. But um, but that's interesting. Okay, so, and, and the thing is too, you mentioned about learning how to ride a bicycle. When you learn how to ride a bicycle, it's one of the things that most of us have probably learned right off the bat was to get the bike moving quickly to begin with so that it balances itself, right? It's much easier to ride fast than it is slow. And, and I see this all the time with, with people who ride motorcycles. They think if they can ride fast, then they're good riders. But when they slow down, they sort of wobble to the stop or like you said, they're they're skiing up to the, the stoplight and away from the stoplight as well uh, with both feet, you know, hovering over the ground as they go along until they feel comfortable enough to lift their feet up and put it on the pegs. It's because that's where you really need the skill. And, and I guess that's probably why you're saying it's sort of counterintuitive to riders to uh, counterbalance in, in the classes yes. that you teach like this. So um, you mentioned about, so the, the whole reason that we're counterbalancing, the whole reason that we have to do this is because the bike needs to be leaned over so it'll turn tighter. And we certainly need that if, if our turning radius is very small. Like it's one thing to be on a racetrack and make a large sweeping curve or even on a highway, but it's another to do a U-turn in that what you're talking about. And turning the bike or leaning the bike over is key. It's, it's um, the only way to get it to turn without putting the the uh, the bars at lock, basically. I guess that's about it. Right. So, But when we're going slow, we're using a combination of those, correct? Yes. And what's interesting is on pavement, um, I was lucky enough to be asked to help train police officers who are returning for the first time in the spring. They have to do what's called a re-up in Ontario anyway, Uh, OPP officers, the Toronto Metro Police, and the York Regional Police. So they use great big Harley dressers, and they're heavily laden front ends with radios and bags and handcuffs and mace. (laughs) I don't know what they carry. Anyway, they're big, heavy, 900-pound motorcycles, and they have to go through, it looks like a sea of pylons, but they have to be able to negotiate extremely tight, slow-speed corners to simulate U-turns. And um, they don't counterbalance because that big, wide front tire on dry, vacuumed pavement gives them great grip. So they just keep their nose right over the center of the gas tank And the floorboards on these behemoths are scraping the ground. Uh, Amazing skill to watch a police rodeo event if you ever get the opportunity. The Golden Helmets, for instance. And they have competitions all over North America. And as I say, they don't counterbalance because it's good pavement, good traction. But then they come up to the school where I want to get them used to riding their bike a little off-road because sadly they do have to patrol in park systems sometimes where there's crime or they have to cross the medium 
to go westbound on a highway when they got a call when they were going east. And there's a lot of crashes in grass and gravel because they're just not familiar with what's required. Uh, don't use the front brake. You've got a counterbalance because that front end is going to slip out to the right when you're turning left. So I was hired to go down and coach them in off-road just to help them in that 10% of their riding when they have to do some gravel, et cetera. Mm, they actually have to reverse the way they, they've ridden. They've stayed neutral probably in their normal riding position. And now you're forcing them to do the counterbalance. Yeah. And that's hard for any of us when you have a muscle memory built in after repetitive practice that's a really hard thing to change. Uh, the biggest one that we encounter is the two feet down at the stop and using front brake as the only brake. Mm -hmm. When you put that person on an adventure bike, you're very happy that the BMWs we have have full crash guards. <laughs> Your example there, turning left, and you said that, you know, if they were turning around off of um, the asphalt highway and they're turning around in a gravel meridian, they're turning left, you know, the, the front wheel tends to skid out to the right and the bike yes. falls to the left. That's what happens. Now, the, I just want to clarify the reason for this happening. The reason this happens is probably more to do with the fact that that wheel it's really the, the track the wheel's rolling in, isn't it? You, because when you turn your wheel on the motorcycle, it's being forced to scrub sideways. And on the asphalt, it has so much traction that it whips the bike around. Whereas in the gravel, all of a sudden, it can keep skidding sideways as much or as easy as it could roll forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, I used to teach at a racetrack, and there's a fantastic Canadian who was a Canadian champion, road racer, ice racer, a crazy Frenchman named Michel Mercier, really, really good instructor. And in an analogy, he held up a motorcycle tire just sitting on a table. And if you can envision the bike is, the tire is straight up and down. Then with a pencil, he pushes on the bottom of the tire sideways. So it's not trying to roll it. He's trying to push it sideways. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard to do. And the pencil sometimes breaks in his demonstration. Then he leans that tire over to the left. So now it's on the sidewall and he pushes it with the pencil and it slides very, very easily. And there's a lot of physics involved, which we don't have time to go through and I can't spell or pronounce all the words. But basically it means when a tire is leaned over, it's more likely to slip out with a lack of traction. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens to our adventure bikes when we're trying to turn or accelerate or heavy braking, the tire loses grip. And right. it's more likely to do off-road than it is on dry pavement. So leaning over is what we need to do for the corner. We need to do this to turn around, but we lose traction when it happens. And therefore we're going to counterbalance to balance the motorcycle and, and try and keep that tire from moving around on us, from skidding out. Yes. So the way we teach it is once the customer's comfortable with riding standing up, because that freaks people out. I have a perfectly good seat. Why would I be doing this? Well, hang on. Let, let me ask you, do you have to yeah. stand to counterbalance? No, as long as both your cheeks are off the seat, 
Okay, so we have two methods for counterbalancing. We can do it seated or standing. So, okay, yeah. you start off, go, keep going with your standing one. We'll then. talk about, uh, yeah, standing first. Because yeah. you can actually get the bike further away from you with the length of your legs when standing. That's the main reason why. So, which means you can so, lean it more then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you can turn a tighter corner in control without a loss of attraction. So we stop the person. We hold up their bike for them and say, you know, trust me, I don't want you to fall. You're on my bike. Stand straight up in the air. Now turn your bars full lock to the left. Now what we want you to do is as you lean the bike, this is statically. We're not moving. We're holding the bike up. Lean the bike to the left as you kick your right-hand knee out. Kick it out to the right so you can see a lot of air between the inside of your right knee and the side of the motorcycle. So you're hanging off the right-hand side of the bike and you're equally balancing your body mass on the right and the motorcycle is leaned to the left. So we say you're creating the shape of the letter V. The bike is the left arm of the V. You are the right arm of the V. And then we ask them, does that make sense? And I often say, just smile and nod or we'll be here all day. (laughs) Then the idea is that their left inside of their knee is very tight to the motorcycle. Essentially, your left leg and knee is helping your body hold the bike from going too far to the left. Peg pressure also helps. But because we're hanging off to the right, we're doing that anticipating that when we turn tight corners to the left, the front contact patch will slide out. The front tire will slide out to the right unless we're hanging off to the right and it negates the lack of traction. It won't tip over because we're already hanging out over that side. Imagine the sailboats you see racing and there's three or four very brave people. (laughs) Their heels are on the edge of the boat Mm -hmm. and they're hanging off on a rope inches above where the sharks are. And for the same reason, the boat is heeling over to the left with good wind pressure and speed and they're counterbalancing so they don't go swimming. Mm-hmm. It's the same for our bikes. Okay. Exactly the same concept. Well, let's, let's set up the, the rider then. So let's say you're coming up. Okay. We're going to stop here for just a very quick break. Got a couple of things to tell you about, but stick around because when we come back, we got a lot more to talk about with Clinton, a lot more to learn and some good stories as well. Stay with us. Well, it's all happening again this year. Overland Expo West is on in Flagstaff, Arizona, this May 20th to 22nd um, this year, 2022, at the Fort Tuthill County Park. They have the um, the most, well, they say the greatest collection of Overland Adventure Companies in the world. I mean, it's, it's 300 vendors, 300 gear vendors in one spot. There's so much going on here. I can't give you everything that's happening, but this is the place to go for an Overland event for the year. If I were you, I would set this date on your calendar. And by, by the way, if you want tickets, you got, you got to go online. I'm going to give you the website in a minute, but it's May 20th to 22nd this year. 
you can go, you can park your bike, you can camp for the weekend. You can um, take all kinds of things that, that are happening here. You can walk around, talk to the vendors. You can buy equipment for your bike. You can actually get things installed on your bike there. You can learn how to ride better. You can learn skills. Hey, and you know who's doing that is, is Bill Dragoo, who you've heard here on Adventure Rider Radio. He's doing the, the motorcycle stuff at Overland Expo. Um, they've got authors, filmmakers, travelers um, doing workshops and classes, sharing their stories of, of riding on the road. Um, you, you get a lot of one-on-one. I mean, this is total immersion here. You're, you're around a whole bunch of other overlanders. Now your tickets have to be purchased online at overlandexpo.com. They've got to be done in advance. So make sure you go there because there's a bunch of different ways to experience the show. There's so much going on there that you sort of want to pick and choose what you want to do. You can get a day pass, a weekend pass, a, a moto weekend pass with camping. Um, they, they actually have specific motorcycle things, many specific motorcycle things, but including a, a, a moto party dinner. So um, go to the website, have a look at what they've got. It's overlandexpo.com. And this is the, the May 20th to 22nd. Mark it on your calendar. You've got to get to an Overland event this year. Overlandexpo.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops makes all kinds of lighting, especially for us riders. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what they do. They are a rider company because it's riders that own it. They started it all from riding motorcycles. They make auxiliary LED lights, as well as all kinds of other things like their Evo safety turn signals, which is, I love these because I have these on my bike. They turn your stock turn signals into super bright LEDs in the front. And then in the back, they turn your turn signals into super bright brake lights. I mean, these things really transform your bike into something that can be seen. And that's the whole point of Cyclops Adventure Sports is making sure we can see and be seen. Their website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. They also have all kind, all types of lighting. Go to their website, have a look at all the different things they make for us riders. And remember that it is owned and operated by a family of riders and adventure riders. Cyclopsadventuresports.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. Well, if you're interested in improving your riding skills, then what you want is the correct tools to do it. And one of those tools are your foot pegs. The stock foot pegs, they don't cut it. They're there to hold your feet when you sit on the seat, and that's what the factory builds it for. The point is, you need good quality foot pegs. IMS Products makes a full line of motorcycle foot pegs for adventure motorcycles. These foot pegs are designed specifically for adventure riding. They're not just pegs that are punched out to look pretty these are designed, they're actually designed by riders, by designers, specifically for adventure motorcycling, meaning that they do things like multi-staggered tooth, so it doesn't chew up your boot, but it gives you added traction. Things like the watershed design that doesn't allow the mud to stick in it. All these things are part of that design process. Very important. IMSproducts.com is the website. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. It's the same for our bikes. Exactly the same concept. Well, let's let's set up the, the rider then. So let's say you're coming up, you're you're approaching your your point where you're going to actually make a U-turn. We'll we'll leave it on the left because we've been talking about turning left a lot here. Yes. We'll leave it on the left. How do we set up our bodies for it? Where where do our feet go? Where do our, our hips go? Where do our elbows go? Where do our eyes and head go? Yeah, all those little points, those fine tips are how we really help a customer get the body in the right position because just as you said your toes the whole boot your hips your shoulders all help you do a tight u-turn off-road so what we would tell the customer is like a transport truck 
the rear wheels of any vehicle, including our motorcycles, turn a sharper corner than the front tire. So if I was doing a U-turn to the left, I would maneuver my bike to the edge of the road on the right-hand side. I would move right over to the edge of the pavement, if there is pavement. And then, as I don't stop, I slow down, and I immediately get my eyes looking where I want to go. That's an integral part of doing a U-turn. If you turn your head and look at the ditch, then you're probably going to end up in the ditch. I think we've addressed that before. Mm -hmm. A lot of people hit sidewalks. People are jumping off the sidewalk. It's so, not that easy to do either to turn it like until you're trained to do it. It's not that easy to, to turn your head and your eyes no. and look where you want to go when you're actually not going in that direction yet. Exactly. But we tell people, have you ever looked out of your car, your driver's door window when turning really sharp to the left? Oh yeah. Good point. And the person says, no, I don't drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just smile and nod. We'll be here all day. And then so we had to advise them, it'll help you if you put your chin on your left shoulder as close you can to get it. And I've got some great pictures I'll send you, Jim, that support that. Okay. The bike is pointing west. The person's already looking behind them because they're setting up for that turn. So you want to look where you want to go. And it sounds scary because you're not looking, but your peripheral side vision sees the edge of the road, sees the pylons or tennis balls you've set up in the parking lot to practice this. But the center of your eyeball, where the best clarity of focus is, is turned looking where you want to go. So now I'm on to the right-hand side of my lane, which gives me more space when I turn left. I've scrubbed off some speed to a controllable pace not with a brake, but by pulling the clutch in a little. So I've scrubbed off the power delivery. Because if you go into a U-turn with a clutch all the way out and your bike at idle, uh, the 1250 I have does 11 kilometers an hour, like mm, eight miles fast. an hour. That's yeah. too fast to do a full lock tight turn. Mm -hmm. Well, at least for my skill, I need a lot more practice before I could do that. So I scrub off some speed with power delivery, the clutch. I don't pull it right to the bar because the bike would drop like an anchor. But I just tone it down a little so I can breathe. And it's a more controllable speed. It isn't as startling as clutch all the way out at idle. Then I start my turn. I already have my butt completely off the seat. If I'm sitting down or if I'm standing, I'm creating that V shape we talked about. Hanging off to the right-hand side of the bike, and I start my turn. Now, let me, I st see let me stop yeah, you there. Go just, ahead. Just, um, I'm going to ask about the feet. Now, does it matter where your feet are? Do you, do you teach to turn your toes in toward the bike on the we outside do. peg? If you're turning left, rotate your, your feet to the left. Your shoulders should also move. Your upper body moves to the left. And that facilitates your head turning, your neck turning, everything. So you're not frozen and locked onto the bike from upper body. From your waist up should be very fluid, loose grip on the bars. 
not eagle claw, white knuckled onto the bars. So you can actually, if you envision holding onto a set of handlebars, if you open up your elbows, push them to the outsides, the your hands go with the bones of the arm. So they're actually helping you turn as well as your shoulders, eyes, and the counterbalancing. But the feet, very important. They pivot a little bit horizontally on your foot pegs that helps you get your body set up for turning left. And you do that before you actually stu- stand up. So in other words, as you, as you yes. approach, you turn your feet, then you stand yourself up, your feet are already turned. That's going to naturally swing your body around. It does. And that really helps. But we've probably never done that before. So it all takes time. And those are the fine tuning points we do for people, the body positioning. As long as they can get the clutch appropriate, get some body lean going, and they keep their feet up, we're really happy. So we start with some bigger circles and then move down to slower stuff and then figure eights. So you're teaching them to do circles to begin with, with this method, rather than riding yes. down the road and turning around on the road. A yeah, little, a little the traffic complains. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you have to deal with cars, it's a, that's a whole new thing. So so circles is the, is the way to, to, to practice this. And you can start off, like you said, with bigger circles and just go tighter and tighter and tighter as you get more comfortable with the position. Yeah. Any, any human trying to perform a new skill or acquire a new skill if you make it really tough um, and that's a failing of some instructors it seems like they want to show off when they demonstrate of what they can do they've been riding for 30 years or something and then the the student tries to replicate that i doubt they're going to Mm -hmm. and as soon as we fall i don't care who you are it's embarrassing it's humbling It's demoralizing. And the likelihood of you feeling good about what you're doing, well, you're a pretty tough character if you can just brush it off and say, oh, well, no problem. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. Some people want to go home right away. I knew I should have bought a ATV. That's right. So it doesn't fall over on you. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I I like what you said a minute ago when you said about you don't allow your instructors to use those big words, because that's also the thing that can be intimidating. If you break down something, make it too technical, then and it's too hard to understand. It's it's just the same as doing the physical failure. It's the mental failure where, where there's just too much. I, I can't understand everything that you're talking about unless you have yeah. a background. You won't. I don't know who they're trying to impress those people, but they don't work for us because it's just, we're simply mentors. We're passionate riders. We want you to join us in our sport. And you know what? We might have a few tips that could help your admission into the sport faster and safer than we experienced. Because I went to the school of hard knocks. They had a file on me at the local hospital. Hey, Clinton, how are you? We haven't seen you this summer. (laughs) Stupid way to learn. Stupid way to learn. So that's the whole idea. If you're practicing some of these tips we talk about or other people talk about on your show, start it really easy. Get comfortable with the basics before you start trying to do a U-turn within your own lane. That's probably full lock. And on a big motorcycle with a long wheelbase, that's pretty challenging to do a full lock U-turn within your own lane. 
If you were to, because like, I think you do this when you're teaching people, is you give them small uh, accomplishments that they can do. So you, you sort of build your, yourself up and you realize, oh, I've done something right. I've learned to master this. I've learned to master that. With this, this in particular, counterbalancing and, and turning a circle, what are the steps that you would give them to accomplish before they actually got in and tried this? They've got to be comfortable with slowing the bike down and achieving a really slow pace using the clutch riding the clutch, even though their grandfather would have smacked them if they left their foot on the clutch of the pickup truck, it's not a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. 99% of us, the clutch is running in oil. As long as you don't have a brake on at the same time, you're never going to harm a clutch by pulling it in with two fingers. And you're basically like a dimmer switch giving less engine to the back wheel. That's all we're doing. But that has to be a practiced, accomplished skill before you can start doing this stuff. So first and foremost, the, the clutching, because the first thing you mentioned was eyes, and then you said clutch, and I, and I realized why you're saying this is so important. And we, we talk about this all the time, don't we? Almost every time we talk about an off-road skill, we talk the about clutch. slipping the clutch. Yeah, except for the DT, uh, DTC, or right. no, DCT, DCT, dual clutch yes. transmission. That's the only time we do it, but then there's two of them. But yeah, it's... It's my worry because I just spoke to a guy the other day who wants to bring up two battery-powered motorcycles. And uh, he wants to leave them at the school for people to test. And I'm thinking, you know, I thought I'd be gone, dead, by the time all these bikes were here. Because I'm basically out of business. And it's a little little spooky. But if that's the future, I'm sure we're going to have a, a, a day when you can't use gasoline. Mm-hmm. No, won't be in my lifetime, but uh, the, I don't know. Don't, don't, don't I wouldn't yeah. be too sure of that, but, but the thing, <laughs> is, I, the thing I think Clinton is what's going to happen with those electric bikes is I think you're going to end up teaching dragging the brake and having the throttle on at the same time. Yes, probably. Uh, to, to do this sort of thing anyway, but, but okay. So clutch is the most, the clutch is the most important thing. You need to master that and you need to master it. Like we said, for everything else that we talk about here, as yes. far as slow speed maneuvers, that clutch is so, so important. And also I know you've said it, but um, it, is to be smooth on it. That, that's what it's yes. not an on off thing. This is like you said, a dimmer switch. This is something you yes. need to learn finesse with those fingers. So, so important. But that's a good skill you need in your toolkit before you try this tight U-turn. Next, if you're not comfortable standing up, at least you should be able to ride with two cheeks of the butt completely off the seat while you're turning. So you can achieve some counterweighting. So this is the sitting position you're talking about? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because some people are a little freaked out by standing if they've never done it before other than to go over the railway tracks or a speed bump to throw them in. Okay, you turn, stand up. You'd have a revolt. (laughs) So we don't want that. But um, being able to counterbalance is very important. And then the eyes. The beauty of trying a circle is if there's another rider in the circle with them, we just tell the participant, look at their helmet. Hopefully they're going same direction and if you're looking at someone riding in front of you once they're on the other half of the circle you're looking where we want you to you're looking where you want to go your chin is on your shoulder Mm -hmm. so the eyes are an integral part of doing this u-turn so the u-turn counterbalancing we're talking about 
sitting down, the only difference is that is that we're we're sliding our butt. I mean, maybe just walk through that and and describe yeah. how that works. I'm just envisioning we have one instructor who some people think is very short. Sometimes it's just perspective. He's standing further away, but he actually is about five five. <laughs> um, with his adventure bike boots on, maybe five six, so he can't touch the ground on a big GS, any big adventure bike. Now he's so skilled, that doesn't matter. He does the Roy Rogers start, John Wayne start, puts his left foot on the peg, standing beside the stopped bike. He pops it into gear, lets the clutch out, simply stands up like he would a horse as it's walking away, mm -hmm. swings his leg over. So it doesn't matter that he can't touch the ground. So when turning a U-turn, if he's turning to the left, his left boot is about a foot away from his left foot peg because he's hanging off with all of his weight on his right foot peg and his entire body's off the bike other than his half of his leg is dangling a bit on the left. All his weight's on that foot peg, on the outside foot peg. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way he can achieve it if he had to keep both feet on the pegs, his legs aren't that long. He rolls up his blue jeans. So that means he's not getting much of his weight off the bike. So he rides one-footed in very tight, slow speed. But that, I think, will graphically illustrate to folks listening that you really got to hang off the bike. Hey, Clinton, now that I'm listening to you give these explanations, I'm thinking, so it actually is easier for a taller rider than a shorter rider to do counterbalancing. Yes, if they're on the same sized, average size bike, I prefer standing doing it because it allows, the extra leg length allows you to get your body further away from the motorcycle than seated. So I feel more comfortable turning full lock with my, uh, I'm standing up. That's how I do it. So if you're, if you're shorter, you got to become a better rider than a tall rider for the same sort of thing. Uh, maybe I'm stretching it. Yeah. Or I don't know about better, but you just have to match what your body can do to the motorcycle. Yeah. I mean, is uh, it enough that like, would, would we actually see the difference? Would you see that much of a difference between a short rider and a tall rider making a corner like no. this encounter? No, you wouldn't, would you? I'm trying to think of like in competitions, trials, riders, they're standing up all the time, but in the old days, vintage, the bikes had seats and the height of the riders had nothing to do with it. Motocross, mm -hmm. road racing, the perfect road racer's body is a strong upper body, but they're, they're not very big people. Mm -hmm. When, when and, you're going down a dirt road, let's say you're going down a, a dirt road and you're, you're going to do it rather spirited and it's a dirt, a loose surface dirt, uh, let's say more of a trail that you're going down are, at speed. Are you more comfortable doing that standing up? Like, would you do it standing up? You're cutting back and forth. You, there's a lot of cut, cutting yeah. back and forth, standing up or sitting down and, and skidding your cheeks over, which works best for you? Standing. And it's mostly because I rode so much as a kid on crappy bikes with lousy suspension, oh, four, in, yeah. four inches of suspension. So we learned if you didn't want to have a really sore spine, you had to stand up. Mm. Um, I rode a lot of horses as kids. I think we talked about it. Your yeah. sister was a real horse person and my father was. So 
you can't sit down when a horse is trotting, which is a bike going over stutter bumps. Yeah. You can't. It'll buck you off. Mm-hmm. Your bike will buck you off as soon as a Palomino will. So um, my preference is standing up. And on long, deep gravel roads in the Yukon, I just love it up there because you could stand. If you get in a comfortable position, you could stand for a tank of gas mm. that far, not even touch the ground. Don't put your feet down until you pull into the stop for gas again. It's amazing. As far as standing, oh, let, let me just ask you, I, I was going to give the example, though, that dirt road. So you said standing, but there are um, many racers, many off-road racers who would do it sitting down. Yes, especially depending on the terrain. If you watch the Supercross, the best off-road motocross racers in the world, it's on every Saturday night. And every single corner, they sit down with their butt right up on the gas tank. The seat is upholstered much higher on towards the gas cap than our adventure bikes mm-hmm. or a conventional street bike. And that's because they're right up on the tank and they may even throw their left foot out and it looks like they're putting it down in case they fall. No, they're not doing that. They're putting their left foot out to throw a little bit more weight onto the front axle to get them better traction in really loose conditions. Oh, is that right? I didn't realize that. I, I thought that's what it was for, just in case, that you know, as a, as a last resort to, to um, save the bike if it went down. No, it's to give that much more weight onto the front axle. Mm. They have and no intention of going down. No, and seldom do. But they do wash out, and they do crash if you watch Supercross, but mm-hmm. that's very high-speed intensity <laughs> racing. Yeah, yeah, not what we're but doing. So the difference then, what you just described, and we've heard it before, and Chris Birch has mentioned this as well uh, to us, is that um, that it's the design of the seat and everything that makes a difference on whether standing or sitting is, is more appropriate. Or at least if you can sit, you really have to have a seat design, a gas tank design, that you can get your weight all the way up the front. Right. And adventure bikes, you'll notice the seat narrows and the tank narrows where our body meet Mm -hmm. above the foot pegs. That's the skinniest part of the shape of the tank and the seat for that reason, so that you can squeeze the bike tightly between our knees and get up and down and move around on the seat. So if you have a custom saddle design, that looks more like a horse saddle and a very long distance. I have one on a a GSA, my oldest bike, and you could sit down for a tank of gas, which is 600 kilometers on that bike and no numb butt because it was perfectly designed. I can't remember the brand name. The seat itself. I think you told me about the seat. A Russell Daylong. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it truly is aptly named that thing. It just, if I'm going a long, long distance, I'll take that bike, both for the fuel mileage and the comfort. And I'm not standing up if I'm going down a paved highway, that type of thing. So it's perfect. But mm. in, in tight off-road, that seat might be a little wide for me, to, and it inhibits me sliding left and right because there's a, almost a beveled cup behind my butt that supports me but it makes it harder to get off the bike left and right mm-hmm. than a stock seat. 
or the one on your 800 is quite narrow yeah. at the front. Can you just walk through the, the seated version then of doing this, of, of counterbalancing? And I maybe talk also about the, the differences and, and why, you know, the seated one is, is not going to be as good as, as the standing one. Yeah, the, the biggest thing is if it's, you have to turn within your own lane, let's say, because the trail you're on, kind of a questionable gravel road trail, it's rutted, whatever, it's very narrow between the trees. So you want to maximize your lean when doing the actual turn portion. And as you do that, you're going to hang off to the right-hand side if you're turning left. We practice lefts a lot because it's an easier turn to make for anyone on a motorcycle. When doing a hard right-hand turn, your throttle and arm are caught up onto the right-hand side of your stomach and, and body. And it's quite disconcerting to have the throttle right up against you. Mm. So lefts are just easier. But but you should be, you've, told, you've said before about holding your elbows up and, and that helps sort of mitigate that problem, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. it does. But the handlebar is still very close to you and that right. freaks out some people. So speedway, flat track, grass track, all of that is single direction, always to the left. For That's one of the main reasons. But we practice turning lefts on uh, U-turns because you're probably not going to do a U-turn and end up in your own side of your ditch. You just have to be careful. There's no oncoming traffic because we're on the right-hand side of the road. But anyway, we approach the turn sitting down. I've modulated my speed with the clutch, maybe a dab of brake. I've already checked my mirror. There's nothing coming behind me. Then I move way over to the right. As I initiate my turn... I slide my butt completely off the seat. So I'm hanging off above my rear brake and I start the turn and my eyes immediately go around behind me, which is my goal. That's where I want to go over there. I know the ditches and the other side of the road is off to my right eyeball, but I'm not going to look there with the center of my eye. Just peripherally, I can see what's coming. And as I make the turn, I can stand the bike up, let the clutch out and accelerate and put my butt back where it belongs. It sounds so easy when you tell us how to do this. Why is it such a difficult thing to master? I think because we're all scared of dropping our bike. We all have bad habits of riding slowly, either not using the clutch properly or inappropriate aggressive use of the front brake because our feet are down, all those bad habits make this skill very hard to achieve. Mm. Plus, it's easy to go, once you get a little speed up, it's pretty easy to ride a motorcycle down a straight road. You know, I could do it even. But when when you change it up and throw in a lot of tight turns, which adventure riding... If you get off the main paved roads, those roads are going to follow a river or a mountainscape. And the engineers who made that road or trail, it's going to be a lot twistier. Which is why I think Europeans are, I'm generalizing, they're better drivers 
and riders than North Americans. Because we don't have a lot of really twisty roads. Mm -hmm. Uh, When my wife and I were married, we went to England and Ireland and Wales and Scotland for three weeks as a honeymoon. My cousin in a little town called Shrewsbury had a couple of bikes and he took me out. I don't think he was trying to show off. I could not hang with this guy. They were little 400 Hondas and he had no rubber on an angle on his foot pegs. Like sparks were coming up and I just couldn't keep up with him because he grew up in that town on very, very twisty roads. He progressed from a one, two, five, which you have to start on in England and you have big yellow plate at the back of your motorcycle with an L on it for loser. No, for learner. <laughs> they have them in BC too. And they're not yellow. They're, yeah. they're white and green. <laughs> and then he got a 250 and then he got a different 250 and then he got the big 400, which most of us in North America wouldn't even look at. Mm-hmm. A, a Honda makes a fantastic 500 adventure bike, although it doesn't have spoked rims. It's got solid rims, but absolutely fantastic bike. Many of our customers uh, will come to us with that bike. That's the CBX 500, right? Yeah. yeah, and they're apologetic saying, well, you know, it's it's all I could afford right now. It's a little 500. I'm going, don't cut up your bike. It's fantastic. But we have this mentality in North America that, well, you need a thousand, buddy. You know, I need a big bike. No, you don't. The little bikes are more fun to learn on. And the skill progression of going from a little CC engine to moderately moving upwards to eventually you get a big bike you'll actually know how to ride it better because you get bored with the 125 and then move up. So I would say most Europeans are better riders because they've had a progression of bikes and their roads are far more twisty and far more demanding. But that's why we find it difficult, I believe, is that we've most of our listeners have bought adventure bikes and they're, they don't buy... 650s or 400s or 250s they buy big bikes like i ride but Mm -hmm. i've been lucky enough to move up from tiny bikes through a progression till i was on bigger bikes so the key here is i mean if one of the key things is i asked you about you know why why is it so intimidating to learn this maneuver and you said you know they don't want to drop their bikes the best thing they could do is take a course and drop somebody else's bike yeah, like that's what everybody yours. says. I'm thinking, <laughs> go drop Clinton's yeah. bike. Don't worry about it. Then they, you've got that say. taken away. Hey, if, you, if you're going to break it down for people and tell people how to go and get themselves to practice this exercise at home, I assume what we're going to start with is the, the clutch, right? I mean, we're going to yes. go off and we're going to learn. So can you just walk through that? The skills that you yes. would practice first and then things that you can do to learn how to make, how to counterbalance and make your turn better. So get on your bike, big open area, pavement is fantastic, although the landing's harder, the traction is better. So make sure you have crash guards and good gear on, no matter how hot it is, shorts and t-shirt is just stupid. So good gear, get rolling along in first gear with the clutch out at a little bit of throttle. So you're doing 15 kilometers an hour, 10 miles an hour. 
No, we want to scrub off some speed. Rather than just chop the throttle right off, slip the clutch in a little and find a happy spot where the engine is hooked up to the back wheel, but it isn't very sensitive to throttle input. You don't get that jerky motion when you blip the throttle. That's a good spot on the clutch. We call it the friction point, where they're rubbing up against each other, but it isn't hooked up completely to the back wheel. So once you get comfortable with slipping the clutch and riding it with your fingers fixed at a point to keep your speed there, now you're ready to do turns. So the next step is to appreciate if you lean over at slow speeds, you're going to have to put your left foot down or the bike will fall when turning left. So to mitigate the effects of gravity that make a bike drop, hang your butt or sitting down, hang both cheeks off the right-hand side of the bike, which will allow you to lean the left side more. If you stay seated right in the middle, you may get away with traction on pavement, but practice hanging off on pavement for the eventuality of trying it in gravel. So are, and, you, are you talking about in a straight yeah. line here? So you're talking about leaning yes. the bike over in a straight line and counterbalancing. So no, you're just practicing like, the balance. Yes. And then we're going to start some big wide turns. I see. And that's when the butt comes off the seat. You turn the bars gradually, but not full lock in the beginning. That's mm -hmm. pretty intimidating. And then the more you practice that, try tightening up your turns, maybe a circle rather than just a straight line, maybe a shopping mall parking lot, as long as you're not bothering anybody, then that really helps. And this is all if you don't have a rider training facility near you. Uh, even if there was one a couple hours away, make a weekend of it, take some training. Uh, just having constructive criticism from someone who can watch your riding, acknowledge weak points, but be able to diplomatically coach them out of you, to me, that's worth a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I think it was last week's show. I just talked with a couple of riders who hadn't done any training. I think one rider had a little bit of training, um, but um, they both had learned on that really steep learning curve, dropping the bikes repeatedly, right. making all the mistakes, then having to relearn things the proper way. Whereas if you have somebody who's standing there, they can say, you know, I can see what you're doing. Every time you're making that turn, you're looking to the wrong, you're in the wrong direction. You're looking at your front wheel or something and just correct yes. you before you build in that muscle memory of doing this, the, the maneuver improperly and always having problems with it yeah the easier groups to teach are the novice because they're a clean slate with very little bad muscle memory habits some of them will have more or less bicycle experience which really helps um, mountain bikers make great motorcyclists especially off-road motorcyclists because we'll go to teach the hill and the person will say what hill you mean that? That's not a hill. Because they, <laughs> they know how to go down a hill with the front brake carefully and cautiously. Mm -hmm. They know trail judgment, how to avoid obstacles without really being conscious of it. They zig and zag through forests, which that takes a while for a street rider to get used to. Mm -hmm. 
they mm-hmm. hit a lot of the stuff because they're going, oh my God, there's a rock. Bang. <laughs> yeah, you stiffen up. And and the, the mountain biker, they've already learned all that. They've already learned the counterweighting and everything just intuitively. It, it's funny, riding bicycles seems to be, I mean, maybe that's an obvious thing now that I'm saying it, but it's so much easier than, than a motorcycle, yet it, there's a yes. lot of similarities. It is. That's why I would get frustrated with instructors. They would be teaching what we call opposite steering or gyroscopic steering is the, the fancy scientific term. And they would say, okay, to go to the left, what I want you to do is push on the left bar. And that creates a lean in the left. Then they would actually say, now don't look at the wheel because it's turning to the right. But trust me, it'll go left. Why would you even bring that up? <laughs> None, no one taught us as kids how to turn a corner of a bicycle. And, you know, the odd nut went into the ditch, but most of us managed to do it. Cornering is very intuitive. Once you learn to stay upright, it seemed to be like everything else you sort of figured out afterwards. Now, obviously with an engine, that, that's where that, that brings in things, because, I mean, that goes sort of against what we just said. The, the difference with the, the from the bicycle to the motorcycle is that we have an engine powering this thing forward, and there's a lot more power, and things will happen a lot faster there, a lot um, less time to correct for a mistake, which is why you want to learn how to do it properly. Yes, and the added weight our motorcycle's quite a bit heavier than a bicycle. So if you do it wrong, gravity will smack you by dropping the bike. Mm, yeah, good Where point. a bike you can usually handle. But even a bicycle, people use the front brake too aggressively or turn too sharply, they're going to fall. Yeah, that's true. So how slow can we go on, the, on this maneuver? Well, uh, with a lot of experience, you could stop almost like for a half a second or a second, and then keep going with the clutch. So trials riders are a good example of that. They can stop and balance without putting their foot down by peg weighting. So if it feels like it's going to tip to the left, they lean on their right toe. And they can sit there for 30 seconds, although in modern trials, you're timed. But in the old days, you could stop, take a look at the log, see where you wanted to attack it and cross it uh, Mm. without moving. So that's part of our schools. We get people to stand up on a trials bike, absolute beginners, adventure riders, anybody. And we hold the bike and then teach them peg weighting. Now, if I let go and it seems like it's going to fall to the left, lean on your right toe. And within seconds, absolute beginners or really accomplished street riders are balancing a motorcycle with their feet up. And that's really encouraging to especially a beginner. Holy crap, I never thought I'd be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And then we can call on that experience once we've taught them how to ride or the adventure rider, we get into standing up. Then we say to them, okay, we're going to turn left by taking your right foot completely off the peg and tell me what happens. The bike will turn to the left. And that's the peg weighting skill sets that we taught the very first lesson. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty cool. You see the light bulb of aha go off And that's learning. People have figured it out themselves with little tips from us. They're kind of mentors. So um, if you can balance a trials bike, 
then you should be able to balance an adventure bike. It doesn't really matter because yes. we're talking about balance, right? Yeah, and a great skill set for people to practice. I'm glad you brought that up. It's pretty tough. I can do it, but it's way harder with a bigger, heavier bike because of the gravity of the weight. But the way to do it, stop in gravel or sand with your front brake on and move your handlebars full lock left to right. And essentially, your front tire digs a little hole in that soft material. Leave the bike at full lock to the left with the front brake on and the engine's off. Then what you do is you put one foot up on your right peg, toes is very important. Your toe is on the right peg. With it at full lock, then you stand up until you try to lift your left toe off the ground and dangle it for a second. If it feels like it's going to fall, you can put the toe back. But eventually, put both toes up on the pegs. And now let's say the bike feels like it wants to move to the left and fall down. Lean weight onto your right toe, and that brings it back level. So it's a matter of teetering weight between your left and right pegs. And wow, the grins on people in our two-day uh, adventure bike course, when they can achieve that, th that's they want to show all their friends. Oh, hang on. Let me get my phone out, Glenn. Can you take a picture of this? Because <laughs> it blows them away. Now that's stopped, you're talking about. You, you can also yes. do this by uh, having it in gear. And sort of when you, if you lose your balance, you let the clutch out, roll ahead a little bit, then stop again, balance, and then do the same sort of thing, right? Yes. And uh, that's a little more advanced skill on a really big bike. But if you watch slow speed races at rallies and things, it's heavy duty riding the clutch. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you can smell the clutch because people doing it drag their rear brake as well, which is unnecessary. <laughs> Just beat your clutch up. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, and which you told us before, if you can smell the clutch, that's not a good thing. Yeah, you're riding. If mm -hmm. there's too much holding the weight and the the bike back and you're trying to pull it forward something is holding it back so either stuck in the sand or you're on a log and it is spinning or you've got your brake on that'll burn out a clutch pretty quickly i'm gonna have to get you back here next time so we can learn how to turn right Oh, I know. I, I don't know either. I'll practice that. Yeah, maybe work on that and then, then we can go back and talk about it. Hey, before I let you go, before we wrap this up, I, I'm curious about um, what are the common mistakes? What, what are the things you, you see people come and, and as soon as they're trying this, you say, okay, I've seen this a thousand times. Here's what you yeah. got to do. Uh, they don't. The hardest thing for people to do is hang off the opposite side of the bike. So they're not creating the shape of a letter V. They lean the bike a bit, but then the front wheel moves and they crash or inappropriate front brake use because they're so used to doing it on pavement. They know they have to slow down. So their brain says front brake because they usually have their feet on the ground. Mm. Uh, other mistakes, bad vision. They're just not looking around the turn enough. So it's hard to do the trajectory of a corner if you're not looking where you want to go. Mm-hmm. But most of it is just to build up confidence is bigger circles, take it slow, uh, use your friend's bike, 
case you drop it. Use your husband's bike. Makes <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> take a training course. And uh, that will really help. But, you know, you're going to fall when practicing. I was so humiliated, but I was mentioning that I help out the police periodically when they do their... They get out of the cars before the officers allowed back on the highways and byways. They have to prove their skill sets and they're rusty. So I'm, that's when I'm invited down. So I was watching them negotiate. There must be 500 pylons out. I don't know if you've seen that on TV, the police maneuvers. Yeah. yeah so there's, they're zigging and zagging and there's floorboard scraping. So the sergeant said, uh, Clinton, do you want to try that? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I had a GSA there that day. I was able to negotiate all of the pylons. I never knocked over a pylon. That would have been embarrassing. Chief instructor, my ass. And <laughs> then they said, uh, the sergeant said, do you want to try my bike? Because the hierarchy of the military and the police, the sergeant, who's been an officer for 25 years, he got the brand new police edition Harley Davidson, the new recruit who could have appreciated the ABS and lighter bike and just better running bike, he's on this old one right. that was nowhere near as refined. So the sergeant, apparently this bike had been ridden about 30 kilometers before Clinton got on it. And the sergeant was an expert rider. He rode in the golden helmets which is a high precision choreograph, kind of like the musical ride the Mounties do on horses. These folks do just incredible things with a big heavy bike. I have so much admiration for them. Anyway, Clinton, do you want to try it on my bike? So I'd never ridden a great big Harley Davidson like this. So I thought, sure. So I went to the very first corner, leaned the bike over and crashed it. And at this event was the local media, because they've invited other partners in safety, including our business and other uh, street rider trainers. So there was a lot of people watching, especially anybody tuned in. Fantastic. <laughs> and there's Glitton. <laughs> there's Glitton. I threw this brand new Harley Davidson down onto the ground. And then... Of course, I jumped off. I was so embarrassed. I went to lift it up and they beeped the horn and yelled at me because you're not allowed to. If there's another officer nearby, they help you lift the fallen bike mm. so you don't wreck your back. Right, because they're so, a thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah, well, on TV, it looks like I can't lift it, which was probably the case. I'm not sure. <laughs> so not only did I crash it, I had to get the big sergeant to help me. Oh man, Clinton, do you uh, ever do you ever think back and think maybe I should just say no? Yeah, but it, it doesn't work. It's it's a disease I have. <laughs> you're just I'm, you're chomping at the bit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could teach a night school course of how to put my foot in my mouth. I'm yeah, sure it's it's a speciality. Hey, the last question I have for you on this is a bailout maneuver when we're making these corners. Because you said you, we're going to drop the bike. So is there a bailout yes. maneuver here? Yeah. Stop turning left. If you're trying to and it feels like it's going to go down, open up the steering. 
turn the bars back to the right and the motorcycle stands up immediately. Okay. So if you're leaning over and you turn the bars, that helps stand your bike up. Do you let the clutch out a bit and give it a shot of gas at the time? Yeah, you can. Power out. Because what a lot of people do is right at the turn, (laughs) that's another issue that I forgot to mention. They pull the clutch in too far. So you lose all your momentum and gravity smacks you and the bike falls. But that's a good recovery is stop turning so tight if it feels like it's going to drop. You can give it a little shot of throttle and open the bars up a bit and that helps stand the motorcycle upright. Right. Okay. Well, I guess this sets everyone off then to uh, to go and try and perfect time of year because you're just getting into your season now. This is this is May yes. that we're recording this. You're just starting your season and you're you're heading off to the Yukon again this year? Yes, we have a trip planned in June, which I'm a little nervous about because we normally go every year in very early September, which in the far north, that's heavy duty fall. The colors are fantastic. There's very few tourists left on the roadways up there, and there's very few bugs. Where June, there's an actual adventure bike rally in Dawson City, Yukon, in June. I forget the exact dates. It's mid-June. So Clint McBride, who organizes our big adventure trips, which I go along, uh, I go at the back as the sweep, first aid mechanic coffee maker guy um he thought i'd really like to see this adventure bike rally which i'm excited to see too so the only drag might be there'll be a lot more winnebago traffic and a lot more mosquitoes and black flies Mm. when you say a lot more we're talking tons and tons clouds that may be so thick you may have to stop riding well, I'm hoping the 19 riders in front of me will kill most of them. <laughs> I think there is an unlimited supply. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mosquitoes in the Yukon and blackfly, it's like opinions. They're just going to be everywhere. Yeah. And it's their territorial bird, the mosquito. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to buy one of those uh, fishing hats with a net on it. So if I'm fixing flat tires or whatever at the side of the road, I'll be protected from them. But you're you're about to go in no time at all. Is that all the preparation you're doing is, is buying some head net? That's it? You're not going to research yeah, this thing and get paranoid about it? No. Because <laughs> once we're there, what are you going to do? Well, what about just bu- bugs. What about bug dope? Are you going to take any of that with you? Yeah. I'll definitely take some spray with me. And I even have, do you remember our parents used to have that little green coil? You light it on oh, fire. We have them, yeah. Picks. Yeah, I... I'm going to take those. So if I'm stuck on the side of the road for 45 minutes doing a tire or chain or something, a little bit of smoke around you will get rid of bugs. Yeah, but I have the feeling the bugs are going to be so thick for you. I'm, I want to hear this afterwards because we're going to talk afterwards. Yes, we'll I, I want to hear about just how you handle these bugs, in particular in those times where, because I know you've told all kinds of stories about things that you've done, like fixes. I remember you talking about repairing a uh, an engine case. You, you talked about a punctured engine case. Oh, you, yeah. you repaired that on the side of the road. Now, doing that with mosquitoes and black flies pounding at you, I think it's a whole new world you're into. Yeah, maybe I'll buy the whole suit 
That's the mosquito suit. <laughs> you know what my, my recommendation would be is to get one of those large um, netting a tent. Like it's like a, it's like a tent only. It's not a tent. It's just just netting oh, that you put kitchen up. Kitchen tent. Yeah. Well, something like that that you could that, because that way if you had something you had to spend some time at you could at least put that up and have some sort of protection. But you know That's you're a gonna good idea. You're gonna take your head net. Let me know how it turns out. Yeah, we'll talk about, it may be the last time we do the Yukon in June. <laughs> it might be, this might be the last time we talk, Clinton. No. You, you could be killed bad. by those mosquitoes. <laughs> Let's hope not. The grizzlies could do that. But that's not true the too. <laughs> Clinton, that's great information. Once again, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Our Always pleasure. enjoy talking to you. Great talking to you, Jim. Have a great summer. Always fun to talk with Clinton. I always enjoy myself. That was Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Clinton has a, a whole crew of top rider trainers, and they teach people to ride motorcycles, dirt bikes, improve their riding skills, also master adventure motorcycle skills. That's a big part of what they do. They also train ATV riders and snowmobile riders, and they have certification processes for those who need those in, uh, like, for work. If you're if you're doing that for work, and they've got an incredible facility located at the Horseshoe Resort. Check them out at SmartAdventures.ca. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and thank you to you for listening to the show and being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, the show is built on a model of advertising listener support. We really need your support. Drop our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your pannier, your toolbox. Anything $50 or more will get you a shout out on our Raw show, which is the other show that we do monthly. But we'd love to get you on our, our pay as a patron supporter as well. That would be a, a monthly thing and it can be any amount. So anyway, just consider it. If you, if you enjoy this, think about what you get from a cup of coffee and how much it costs you. And then maybe you can support the show. We, we, we really appreciate it because there, there's a huge, huge number of people who listen to the show every single week. But there's only a very, very tiny percentage of people who actually support the show. And it is what we do for a living. So we'd really appreciate it if you drop by and check it out. Enough of me going on about that. It's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. If you're living anywhere like I am right now in North America, the summer has begun and it is riding season. It is time to spend as much time as you can on that seat of a motorcycle and not inside. You can listen to the podcast, take it with you, listen to it in your helmet, but uh, don't spend too much time inside. My name is Jim Martin. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 